they're looking at biomechanical norms. If you tick these boxes, you can be called normal, but I still haven't seen two feet that are the same. And if one foot is a tiny bit pronated and the other one's more pronated, but in normal ranges, it's still gonna put a torsion in your pelvis and a rotation in your spine. And so we can still have a shoulder problem because of the difference between the two. So I don't think there's such a thing really as normal feet. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Hey there, Dr. Emily Kyberg here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. Today we have on Gary Ward. I met Gary about six years ago when he brought his course for practitioners, Anatomy in Motion, to New York City. His course totally reshaped how I assess and treat patients, not just laying the patient down on the table, but getting them upright and putting them through the three planes of motion through the gait cycle. And if you don't know what the gait cycle is, it's basically how we walk down the street and as practitioners, how we watch people walk. A lot of what Gary has taught me is how to look at what is not moving enough in the body, what is moving too much, and how to help the body find center, joint by joint, through his flow motion model. So instead of starting in the area of pain, which a lot of doctors will do and focus on, Gary starts the feet and then works his way up the body, connecting all the parts to see how and why someone is experiencing chronic pain, and then addresses the issues at its source. So if you want to see Gary in action, you'll have to find him in private practice in London. He's also been on the BBC show, Doctor in the House. So go check that out. That episode's in the show notes. Gary is amazing. He's helping educate people about their bodies all over the world with his online content. Today, in this episode, we talk about what's a neutral foot, and understanding the relationship between all the joints in the feet, how to find your center through good habits, the way in which muscles react to actions in the joints, and how this is a revolutionary way to look at the body, why pronation, which as a culture we're obsessed about, that idea of rolling our feet in, is actually far less common than supination, the role old injuries play in creating lasting compensations and how to overcome and heal those, and just the many benefits of using corrective foot wedges. And speaking of wedges, if you'd like to win a copy of Gary's book, What the Foot, what a great name, What the Foot, and two of those wedges to do some of the exercises he recommends in the book, go to iTunes, rate and review Muscle Medicine Podcast. Once you've done that, go to bit.ly slash WTFoot, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash W-T-F-O-O-T, WTFoot. We're running a contest to win Gary's book and then also two wedges. It'll run for a week, so go rate and review Muscle Medicine. Go to the link. It's also going to be in the show notes. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this episode.
Welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm super wow. excited to have you on. I took Anatomy in Motion six or seven years ago in New York City, and we use it every single day with every single patient in the clinic. And we have seen amazing transformations. The one I think of most recently is someone was having compartment syndrome, like a high-level elite runner, and doing physical therapy, was considering getting a fasciotomy, which basically they cut and release the pressure in the front of the leg. And we gave her some drills with the wedges to get more mobility through her toes and through her feet. And decreased the inflammation and decreased the pressure and went on to run Boston. I think she came in 20th at the Boston Marathon. Wow. So What's, yeah. What kind of time frame is that? <laughs> what kind of time frame? That is really, really fast. I'd have to double check her time online, but yeah. mind-blowingly fast. So tell us how you came into creating Anatomy in Motion and then also this flow motion model, which is when you first learn it, feels like, whoa, this is a lot. But once you start to integrate it and feel it in your body, you're like, oh, this, this just makes sense. <laughs> That's great to hear. <laughs> so obviously, yeah, the flow motion model is most connected to in terms of anatomy and motion has led to the build and creation of, of a model that we can all enjoy. And uh, we'll explain more about, about what that is. But originally, I think quite a lot of people know, but for those who don't, I started out as a ski boot fitter. And as a ski boot fitter, um, I, I had no idea of anatomy, zero, other than I'd been weight training from the age of 16, reading Flex magazine and, and trying to grow muscle, which as you can see, I'm still struggling with. <laughs> but um, meeting the feet, actually being given this on, on day one and working around uh, foot model, bone names, model. Of, names of the bones and the movement of the joints and was taught as much as these three guys could throw at me in three days and became just fascinated. And that included building an orthotic. So the general premise is a, a foot would kind of stand on the boot bench in front of you. They're interested in a pair of ski boots. And that foot was not what you would call neutral. And at the time we were trained to look at neutral and see if the body or the foot, sorry, is actually in a neutral position and so your mind's eye you've got a neutral foot and then in the other real eye you can see this collapsed foot and you go they're not they're not the same how do i get that back to that so we'd build an orthotic or put a varus wedge under the forefoot or build a heel cup to make the heel sit what is a neutral foot anyway like what is a neutral foot really <laughs> yeah well it's funny you ask that question because i've start, i've I actually asked that question on courses and a lot of people and obviously i teach therapists a lot of people kind of stumble and I don't know if they think I'm asking a trick question, but we can define a neutral foot. And it's very simply, it's when none of the joints in the foot are either open or closed, top, bottom, left, inside, outside. And so it creates this shape, a shape where your rear foot, the talus bone in the rear foot would look straight down the second toe. And that's where we get this knee over toe concept from a shape where the five metatarsals rest evenly on the ground, metatarsal heads, at the, uh, the, what I call the, when I'm speaking to non-therapists, the toe knuckles. The toe uh, knuckles, yes. Yeah. <laughs> These guys, they'll sit on the ground. You've got a nice arch. Everybody's arch shape can be different, feet are different sizes, blah, blah, blah. But the key is that the joints are neither open nor closed. And when a joint's open, they put a stretch into a muscle. So if a joint is open, on one side, it must be closed on the other. So then you've got one muscle long, one muscle short. And then if that's in a resting position, you're not in neutral. And most people will fall into that pronated 
shape. So the pronated feet would come and stand up on the ski boot bench and we'd stick the uh, orthotic or build an orthotic to lift it back up to its neutral position. And then we'd fit them into the boot, the right shape boot, etc. And they would be able to transmit energy on the inside edge of the ski, the outside edge of the ski. And they'd come back and they always reported one of two things. One was that they'd never skied as well as they did in their new new shoes. And the other one was that they had a magical disappearance of discomfort uh, somewhere in their body, not necessarily foot or knee. And they were like, what did you do? And I was like, I have Magic. absolutely <laughs> no idea. Dude. I then just kind of, I got obsessed with there must be a connection to get to where I am today. It was just making that connection, I think. So eventually I left the ski boots pretty early. I did that for nearly seven years. And in that process, did the qualification, had a sports therapy qualification, massage, worked on the yachts down in the south of France in the summer and skiing and ski chalets in the evening. So loads of tissue work and body work and felt like I had a really good connection with the body. I've probably uh, seen more feet than most therapists <laughs> over those years now. <laughs> I mean, like it's so mind many... <laughs> mind-blowing number just entered my head. Right? Like tens of thousands of feet, you know? Because, yeah. you know, most of us as a chiropractor <laughs> and therapists, like we... We see shoulders and backs, and then we see a little bit of feet, you know? Interestingly, there's a, a huge difference between looking and seeing. And so yes. a lot of people are looking at feet, and they're not really seeing the feet for, for what, they, what they can do. And I've got to tell you, you've heard me talk about this before, but I've had people who have been told that they have supinated feet only to, to go in and look at the detail and go, actually, that your, foot, your rear foot, the back of the foot, is collapsed. And your forefoot's hugely compensating. So that's why it's rigid and stiff because you've got one part of the foot wants to go one way. The other part of the foot goes the other. And, and it's like pressing the accelerator and the brake at the same time. So you don't get any movement in the foot. It's locked down, rigid. But it's not supinated, nor is it supinating. And it can't pronate. It's just, it's just a mess. <laughs> we've, got to go, we've got to go to town and, uh, and help you move this. And then other people put in the pronation box. And I'll say that pronation is a, is a three-dimensional movement, not just a collapse of the arch. To say that the arch is collapsed or the foot is flat is, is kind of limiting, really. It's not, it's not an insight into the journey of 26 bones, 33 joints. And most people probably find that their interpretation of, is just to have rolled to the inside which in, in essence could just be a one-dimensional shape rather than a three-dimensional shape. And, and I like the idea that we can teach it as a shape. And feet, there's 33 joints, so they can be super complex, right? Very but complex. <laughs> I'd like to just think that we could be really simple about the complex. And there are two shapes that we're looking for the foot to attain. And to get those two foot shapes, is one's called pronation, which is where the arch lowers the foot lengthens and the foot spreads and the other one's called supination where the foot shortens and narrows um, and we can define the the journey of the joints on the inside and the outside and and it's completely teachable so anybody can begin to look at feet and to say well are all the joints closing on the inside of the foot when i supinate and are all the joints opening on the inside of the foot when i pronate and can i experience the journey from pronation to supination because what that will do um is load and unload all the tissue so they contract and they lengthen open and close all the joints all the tendons and ligaments and all the fascia around that whole foot the intrinsics all get that opportunity to move again and the nerves get to experience movement because you end up uh, we're getting off the first question about where how we built anatomy in motion but it all comes back to the same thing really but when your left foot and your right foot aren't experiencing both movements they 
they take on then a life of their own. They'll do their own thing, whatever it takes. When that foot hits the ground, you'll put it on the ground, you'll pick it up again, you'll put it on the ground, you'll pick it up again. And, and what we started to notice on force plates during the build of the whole anatomy motion and flow motion model processes well, is that your either foot, left or right, when it hits the ground, you're going to notice that it's mimicking the footstep before and the footstep before that and the footstep before that. And we, then we don't know how far back we have to go until it last changed. But you could have been using the same left foot footstep for the last 10 years. And you start to think about, well, what changed it in the first place? And it normally comes back to things where we get interested in the therapy world around injury or trauma or just movement habits or work habits, like a rotation in the upper spine will consistently feed down into your feet. And I have that. I have you do? Yes. Yeah. So but I fun. always I always stand on my left leg. I kind of yeah. shift and post. <laughs> and so I have on the right foot, I have the smallest itty bitty beginning of like a bunion because I've been shifting <laughs> and rotating shifting to my left. To left. So I had, I've had to, I mean, that was like 15 years of doing that, but I've had to physically force myself to stand on the other side of the table to try yeah. and shift into my right leg. Yeah. And when I do that, it's harder to physically concentrate which yeah. makes me think this just shifting and, you know, you talk about this idea of finding center, right? Mm. To create this optimal environment for the body to heal it, start to heal itself. I can, I can feel it when I'm standing on my right. I'm like, oh, this feels so awkward. Oh, my brain is like, yeah. I feel like my cranial bones all the way up have been <laughs> <All the laughs> always shifted to the left. Yeah. Can you talk about this idea of finding center? It's really powerful. You hit me in the middle of a couple of things there. The, the first thing that you, when you talk about that, you make me think of, of just a simple word, which is called habit. Yes, a bad habit. habit. <laughs> a bad habit, but a habit is a habit, and a habit is something that's repeated, a repeated behavior. And that habit generally leads to the creation of a pattern. So you get comfortable. And finding center has this sense of, if there is an optimal center, we all live in a perception of what that is. And so how I hold myself is how I perceive myself to be centered. And to be centered for the brain, say, as a nervous system kind of manager, is I'll organize my whole body so that I feel centered. So it's always finding center. Um, the actual true version of center, like you said, what's neutral in the foot is center would be neutral in the body where no joints are open, no joints are closed. We actually need to be able to move away from this centered position and get back to that centered position and move away from it again in all three dimensions in order to, to experience it. So if I'm actually heavy on one leg, put my weight on my right leg, don't put so, commit so much weight to the left leg, or like you were saying, you rotate in a particular direction all the time, that rotation of your ribcage, believe it or not, will lead to a dominant leg stride. And that will put you more into that leg, not the other leg. And then you start to see, well, if I rotate right all the time, I'm pulling my right foot into a pronation that's generating this sense of a bunion. Now, when I walk, you'd have to look, you could in theory be putting your left leg more forward, but if the bunion's forming, you might just fall into that foot more easily. And then these, these habits then, because every footstep's now the same, based on your rotation, now create patterns in your body. And it's those patterns of movement that we want to be able to, that I wanted to be able to extrapolate. So when I pronate my right foot, if you just think about rotation, what happens up in the, in the ankle, the tibia, the knee, the 
femur, the pelvis, the spine, you know, then you're going, you've just missed the sacroiliac joint, the rib cage, the scapula, all the way up. And so we should, in theory, because these patterns are actually crystal clear, in my eyes anyway, <laughs> we should, in theory, be able to trace and track that bunion to a rib cage rotation without any kind of leap, without any guess. Or So sometimes you see on Facebook, oh, we corrected this person's rib cage and his bunion disappeared claims, and everybody jumps in and fires in, oh, you can't say that because, and you may not, he may have made a leap and it might have been inverted commas miracle, but if you follow the model, you can probably make sense of, of how such a, an, a movement in the spine can have such an impact on the foot because you've suddenly changed that habit, which will now change the pattern. And it's through every phase of gait from the heel strike to shifting on that foot to getting over that foot and pushing off the other foot all three planes which makes it like <laughs> mind blowing <laughs> so i think we worked out in the model where we teach seven phases so seven phases has three dimensions of movement you end up with and every section in the body you end up with 422 boxes to analyze <laughs> and that's when everyone goes oh it's a little bit crazy but like you said up front what we're actually talking about is, is there's eight body shapes that consistently show themselves through that model and each phase of movement would be just selecting three one in the sagittal plane one in the frontal one in the transverse plane that make up that particular moment in time and then there's two foot shapes and there's two arm shapes. And so we're just constantly morphing around in this shape. And to be centered or to find center means that you rest in a balanced place, weight 50-50, left and right, equal in your heels and your forefoot. And you've got this nice, let's say 25% in each quadrant of your feet. Pelvis is neutral. And, but when you walk, you're able to get commit fully to the right leg, commit equally so to the left leg rotate to the right, equally rotate to the left, side bend to the right, equally side bend to the left, for the foot to be able to supinate and pronate. So you just look, when, when we then come out and look at assessment or in our kind of what I feel like is a fairly new role for us, but speaking to people to and guide them to assess themselves, you're literally asking the question is, can I do both at all, in all structures and in all dimensions? Which again, it still seems like a lot, but the patterns are so fixed and so repeatable. And for those who are interested, it's based on actual joint surface structure. So again, we're making no leaps. You can see how the femur and the tibia interact to give movement at the knee. See how the tibia and the talus bone interact to put movement in the foot. The femur interacts with the pelvis, put movement in the pelvis, which speaks to the spine. So all of them, we feel like there's no leaps anyway in the model. So I'm going to answer your very first question. Anatomy emotion yeah. was built to find the answer, to extrapolate those connections that people were making. When we changed something in their foot and their back pain went away, the flow motion model became, because the documentation of, of how we get from our right heel back to our right heel, so right heel to toe, and then the toe comes off the ground and the heel's back again, you've got a full stride. To be able to understand the journey, the whole body's journey from that heel to strike to the other heel strike, to be able to understand the foot's role, the knee role, the pelvic role, the hip role, SIJ role, everything up to the jaw and the cranial bones role <laughs> in actually have, having an effective gait cycle. By effective, I mean efficient, energy conserving, not necessarily pain-free, but actually, actually easier to move. Yeah. So this idea of there is a place of center and there is all the joints are neither open nor closed 
and then being able to move in and out of center. Yeah. So yeah. we have this really long hallway in our office. I, I built an office in 2017 <laughs> purposefully after taking anatomy of motion. So I used to have a short little hallway and people couldn't get like their groove. So I built yeah. this hallway that goes from one end of the office to the other <laughs> for the purpose to watch someone walk, to watch wow. their gait. And so we always look at first, okay, where are they not moving? Like, are they not, you know, turning to the right? Are they not side bending to the right when they, you know, strike? And so yes. I think you have this interesting concept that most therapists and most people don't think about, which is the joints act and then the muscles react because most mm -hmm. people think that the muscles are pushing and pulling and, you know, contracting yeah. and moving joints, but you flipped that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Yes, really passionate about that, I suppose. It actually came from, again, looking at a force plate and looking for the first time at what's called someone's stabilometry, which is a, a, a readout of how much their center of mass is moving when they're standing still. And I said to the guy, are you, are you doing that? Are you like, wriggling around while standing still? And he said, Because no. on the force plate, which is like picking up pressure... It's, yeah. it's showing up hot and... and yeah, sort of exactly. Like, yeah, going okay. red, going blue, a bit of green, then red again. And, uh, gee, I was, oh my God, we, aren't, we actually can't stand still. So then the, yeah, you can put breath in that and you can look at vibration of muscle and stuff. But the more you look at it, you, you realize that their, their structure on its probably weak, weakened tripods on the feet is moving forwards, moving backwards, moving left, moving right. And but he's, you're not contracting muscle to push you forward. What's actually happening is as you push forward, you lean into tissue, which contracts to push you back. And so we spend a lot of time in a gym contracting tissue to get it from a mid-range to a short range. And obviously there are some big movements where we'll do, you know, if, you get, if you're lucky and you get down to a squat and everything's in the right place, you, you start to lengthen tissue, which can contract to bring you back up. Um, but in, in upright movement, so closed chain, upright, standing in free space or walking or any, any movement habits that are done upright, you're always contracting tissue from a lengthened range back to a mid. So if I miss out the sandwich in the middle, what I just said was that when we were in a gym, we're used to contracting tissue from mid range to short, but in life, we're actually contracting tissue from a long range back to, back to short. So if two bones, Kind of so if you lean forward into that tissue the tissue on this side contracts and pushes it back once the so we can assume that the joint going away from center so you're you're starting to lean all the tissue on the right is being pulled that tissue when it gets to a length and range the brain says that's enough that's enough of the leftward lean now contract contracts the tissue which brings me back upwards um, as soon as i'm going back upwards we could deem that as being a safe place because I'm going back to my resting place, my perceived center, place of where I understand balance, etc. So to go away from it is scary. The contraction brings us back, which is safe. So the contraction, once it's actually going back and shortening, can now use gravity and momentum to assist it. And on the off chance that I bypass and go all the way to the right, which is what I want to experience in my gait, I just leant out of the screen, I think, <laughs> then the muscles, <laughs> the, the muscles on the other side will then go, oh, you don't want to go too far. Let's manage that and pull you back. So Instead of thinking I'm, I'm in a gym and I'm contracting my left side abdominals to do this and my right side abdominals to do this, 
I'm actually leaning to the right with no muscular effort and the muscles on the left, the left side will catch this and pull me left. And then the muscles on the right will contract and pull me right. So joint sacked muscles react is this idea that if I've got probably a stronger example, but joint sacked muscles react is, is if we move the skeleton, we can directly influence the tissue. The, the irony actually, if you look really, really closely is that if you, in some areas, if you stimulate the tissue, you don't necessarily get the reaction that you want in the joint. And a classic example, especially for people with, with pronated or flatter feet, is that when you ask them to extend their knees, you'll see the quads go on, but you won't see the knee extend. Yeah, yeah. A 15-year-old lad here two days ago, and I asked him to extend his knees, but I knew that he wouldn't be able to, and I wanted to see if what he could feel. So they quads came on knees didn't didn't go anywhere and what we did was we stuck a couple of couple of wedges on the inside of his heel bones which invert them both which is a supination pull his foot back out of pronation back towards that neutral shape we talked about and i asked him to extend his knees again and he, he extended them so hard he nearly fell over backwards <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't even aware that he had an, another inch of of kind of knee extension available to him and what was he yeah. coming to you for he'd had severs disease um, mm-hmm. which i don't think is really a disease but a, just a movement limitation <laughs> as a young young one and, and had, as a result put his weight into his forefeet, collapsed his rear feet, gone valgus in the knees, sent his pelvis forward, compressing his lumbar spine, and then was having some back problems and shoulder problems. And <laughs> the rest is history. So that's an absolute classic. I think you can contract your quads. And the idea is, yes, that that, ex- that contraction will extend your knee, but it will only extend the knee as far as the joint will allow. Mm, so if you, yeah. if, you cu- if you then couple up the movement of the feet, the, the joints in the feet, generally and a knee extension, requires a foot to be able to supinate out of its pronated shape so if you put the foot into a supinated position the knee will extend easier and then finally when they get a decent extension then you'll actually see the the quad then do its real contraction so it's like a forceful one versus an effortless one yeah you know i've always been curious about i feel like at least in podiatry which has kind of trickles over to the general population of people is we are so focused on pronation and the collapsing of feet. And we got to correct that when, you know, what I learned through you was the majority, I think it's all the phases of gait are actually creating a supinated foot. And there's only one phase yeah, that creates correct. a pronated foot. And we're like so focused on pronation, pronation and correct. And yeah. it sounds like, and we do this a lot from what we've learned from you is to help the foot learn and remember and own supination when it needs it. Yeah. And you won't have to focus on the pronation or correcting yeah. that. Yeah. That's, Why are we yeah. so crazy about pronation? <laughs> I don't know. Pronation is evil. Uh, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> that's how it comes across. But I get it. I get it because if you are stuck in pronation, this is another part of finding center is about the ability to move from one end range to another. So from pronated to supinated and back again. But if you, if you then are stuck in a pronated shape, so knee, you're you know, collapsed a little bit or collapsed at all, then your ability to pronate that foot more is, is less and therefore your ability to supinate is also less. And there are just some incredible ironies about, about the whole thing. But being stuck there can put tension through your, your medial, medial compartments. You talked about compartment syndrome. So posterior tib, anterior tib, 
FHL, all those tissues are going to, they're going to be long. Then the response to a pronated foot is a flexion and, and tibiofemoral external rotation in the knee. So that's also bad because that puts pressure on your, on certain ligaments. And then the response to that is a rotation in the pelvis or a hike in the pelvis, lateral tilt. And then what that's going to do is knock up your spine. So now you've got a spine that rotates dominantly one way and sidebends one way and you're compressing, compressing in your, you know, the lower regions of your lumbers, and then we have disc pain. And so it's really easy to go back and say, pronation is super bad, but actually we need to supinate it, and that will bring you back to neutral, and then your knee's straight, and your pelvis is straight, and your spine's straight, and woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a really easy connection to make. But the irony that I just mentioned is the, the muscles in the foot, if you painstakingly go through their origins and their insertions and then look at the movement of the foot as it pronates sagittal frontal transverse plane the vast 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 majority are all experiencing length in the pronation and so the rule number one is muscles lengthen before they contract but that's because joints act muscles react so when we pronate the bones of the foot you put all of the muscles in the foot into a lengthening space which means that when they contract their role is to supinate the foot there's a little knowledge bomb right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we think we've got pronators and supinators, but we don't. The only pronators we've got are actually quite insignificant and small, apart from extensor digitorum longus, which is the biggest. But what they're doing is stopping that over, over supination, either at your heel strike or in your propulsion phase, your toe off phase, so that you don't roll your ankle. But because a supinated foot is supposed to be rigid, you don't need a lot of soft tissue. Same with the knee, you don't need a lot of lateral soft tissue to manage it because it, it should be rigid and straight so yeah pronation is evil but actually the value you get from pronating is insane because you get to put all of your muscles to work and give them a job to do and that job is to pull the bones into supination and so you can't pronate without supinating because the two are intrinsically connected the problem is when we're pronated and not able to pronate more not load those tissues more and not generate a supination response so and the supination thing that you talked about is being able to get to that is incredibly valuable as well because the majority of the phases when we heel strike, we should be supinated. At the end of our push-off, we should be hugely supinated. So the one chance that we have that you mentioned, the one chance to pronate, we, we got to get that right every footstep. Otherwise, we are on a hiding, hiding to nothing. So when someone comes into your office and says, oh, Gary, I have flat feet. Because people come into my office all the time and they're like, I have flat feet. Like I'm always, I I have my response, which is me too. (laughs) But I'm I'm always, every time someone says that, which is at least once a day, I'm like, what would Gary say when someone says this to him? Yes, I used to have. Yeah, Like like a little token response. Like, Um, I don't know, get in line. During the rest of the crew, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. You're funny. They do. There is a little piece, some sports medicine journal in the US, actually. It says 70% of feet are considered abnormal and 30 normal. And they're looking at kind of biomechanical norms. If you tick these boxes, you can be called normal. But I still haven't seen two feet that are the same. And if one foot is a tiny bit pronated and the other one's more pronated, but in normal ranges, it's still going to put a torsion in your pelvis and a rotation in your spine. So we can still have a shoulder problem because of the difference between the two. So I don't think there's such a thing really as normal feet. That center thing is, I actually call it the holy grail. We might spend the rest of our lives looking for that center point, but we've got to, the only way we're going to do it is to start encouraging the journey. 
the mm-hmm. finding the movement of both sides. So then if you ditch the idea that there's normal feet and you've now those set grow that 70% abnormal to 100% because nobody's got left and right foot working the same, they're all too yeah. pronated and whatever. And it said 95% of those abnormal are more pronated and 5% are supinated. So the supinated is your, your high arch. Yeah. But I still think uh, when a lot of people say, I've been told I've got supinated feet, and I go, actually, you haven't. <laughs> because the real foot, you can't have a supinated foot with a talus bone that's everted and internally rotated. It's yeah. just a compensation. So I reckon even with strict uh, appreciation of what the feet are doing, I think that number, 95%, would go even higher. So gravity is free, isn't it? And so that push down onto the body allows the feet to to roll and then the pattern of walking on flat surfaces wearing shoes whatever it is working habits patterns injuries it's easier for us to to just live in that space i think but what we are definitely missing is by being there full time and not being able to access that supination through those four other phases we miss a lot of juice and that's that it's supination that kicks your glutes on it's supination that gives you hip flexor length it's supination that gives you access to your adductors it's supination that facilitates internal rotation at the hip that it's it's all there Um, and so where people are having problems in fact just talking about problems but we say it takes 0.6 to 0.8 seconds to get from heel to toe which is insane it's like so ridiculously quick the next problem is how do you manage never mind observe but how do you manage the the movement of 206 bones with joints in between each one in all three dimensions in 0.6 and 0.8 seconds thoughtfully you can't so if you lift your and extend your spine as a cue and you go out doing that all of a sudden you you lose the ability for the flexion in the spine which is what actually, that will feed down to a, a movement in the a beneficial movement in the feet but your focus goes there and it's not everywhere so we have to have no focus it has to be thoughtless it has to be experienced through the movement of joints so the tissue can learn to manage it so that you can just effortlessly go about your day moving well so certain cues like point your feet straight lift your back tall shoulders back and down look on your head type stuff tilt your pelvis a little bit j curve whatever all of that just puts focus in in certain areas which distorts the whole thing can you speak to because i think it's really interesting and we learned this from you is how old injuries can create compensations let's say and old injuries yeah old old injuries yeah so maybe it's like an old ankle sprain or I know you were telling us about someone who had a wrist injury and if they played with the rotation of the arm, it would help with, it was like something in the opposite ankle or knee. Just really getting a broad scope of the body. How do you, when someone tells you, oh, I have this old injury, because a lot of times people will just breeze over them and you really have to dig. They'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, I like broke that wrist and I have a pin and I have this scar on my back of my scalp. I'm like, that would have been amazing to tell me an hour ago when we first started. You got to get that up. uh, Anybody listening to this who's not a therapist, when you go and see a therapist, vomit all that up. Sit down and write your timeline, put it in order. How was your birth and what's happened since? (laughs) And pay. I have the Wake Your Body Up program on our findingcenter.co.uk site where we actually take you through that idea of, of finding. And the reason for doing it for yourself is to bring attention to those things. And you'll end up in small categories where you've got injuries that were never treated. You've got injuries that were go unconsidered in your treatment processes. They've been overlooked 
or you've forgotten about them. And by going through a process, you can bring them back to memory. And it's a big thing. Everybody knows that pain is probably not at the site of the problem. And so this type of information we need to gleam from people so that we can try and find what the problem initially was. But it goes back to habits and patterns, I think, Emily, where if I sprain my ankle, which I did, 13 ankle sprains in 13 oh years <laughs> playing soccer, football, until I put it in a ski boot. It was a nightmare. And then until I started moving my body and it, and it never happened again. But it, it was a habit and a pattern, which I later realized was due to, like, I would always put more weight on my right leg and never on my left. And that was the ankle uh, that you sprained, was the right one. I would, it, I would just roll it. So it just the timing would be different. I'd expect the road to be there when I come off the curb and it wasn't, it's a millimeter lower and it's too late. It's like, I'm ripping that thing off my leg. <laughs> but what happens is, so let's say it, it doesn't happen. You could have been in a tackle, you could have been in a RTA, but you, you end up kind of spraining your ankle. Um, RTA seems a bit <laughs> out there for a lame ankle sprain. But what's all of a sudden happened is, well, two things can happen. One is, like you don't want to put weight on that leg, do you? So you you change your pattern, and there's a little piece of neuroscience that I that I chuck out every now and again, which is if you tape your fingers together for a couple of minutes, the brain already starts to lose the idea that it's got two fingers, so it starts forming it as one. Mm-hmm. Then you think about all oh, the how long did you actually keep your weight off that foot for? Which means you've just been formulating a new pattern of movement while you're protecting your your right ankle. A new habit. Um, I'm saying right because that was mine. Yeah. So you create a new habit, which is now creating a new pattern, which is now I'm spending more time on my left foot, less on my right foot, or I'm adjusting parts of my spine to not contribute to putting weight on the right-hand side. I've found a way. That's the key part here. I've found my new center. And then the ankle gets better. And when your ankle gets better, did you then... Did anybody, because you're unlikely to, you're going to crack on with your daily life, but did anybody then bother to put you back on that right ankle? Did anybody say, hey, look, you're not weight-bearing on this ankle fully? No, unlikely. They've gone and said, I've got back pain. And they've gone and treated the back rather than saying, hey, have you ever put your weight on that ankle since you sprained it? Well, why would I do that? So the new habit and the new pattern is locked in. The joint motion and the joint surfaces do their things. So they find the way for you. And sometimes then in terms of knowing that is you're actually able to then see how those uh, those movements that are required in the foot will then contribute to putting that pattern back. And I'm stumbling because I'm just thinking of the guy this morning and here's a classic example. He didn't have an ankle sprain, but his weight was fully on his right leg and he had broke his fibula on the right, which was a bit weird because he'd committed his life to his right leg, but it turns out it'd been like that. For a long long time and he's a rock climbing coach and he has a rotator cuff on the right and actually his right scapula had no movement in it whatsoever so he did all the assessments and the scapula wouldn't move so he's moving his arm not his scapula moving his rib cage scapula just sliding around with it and i said Let's so it's just like see it was happened. stuck this yeah it was stuck okay so you think it's stuck so when you think it's stuck you want to you want to pull on it you want to massage it you want to yank it off the ribs and do all that good stuff but I, I just said, let's see what happens if you put your weight in your left leg. So he puts his weight in his left leg, 50-50s, starts doing his tests, and the scapula starts moving. So there wasn't a blockage. And it's not a rotator cuff problem. It's just a whole body problem, just being committed to that side. So we realized that because he can't supinate his right foot where the fibula is as well, he actually couldn't supinate himself across to put his weight onto his left leg. And so we just did a session to get him onto his left leg so his rotator cuff would, would clear up. 
So you can start to go back and see that decisions made in the past are now affecting where you are, where you are in the future. And just briefly back to the ankle sprain, I heard you nail <laughs> a new question. But <laughs> when you I think it's a big part of being safe and feeling unsafe. So doing the ankle feels unsafe and you find a new space that feels safe. But also if you've inverted that ankle and you've, you've well, basically what you've done is you've pulled this guy over, pulled the talus down, pulled the fibula out, pushed the fibula out there. That is now a very compromised and unsafe position to be in. So a lot of people will start to close that up and lock it down. That's what is, I do. Now a, yeah. Now a movement of pronation. Yeah. Which is going to then create the movement up, up the left leg, put the weight yeah. into it. And so you're going to avoid things that your brain still attaches to an unsafe movement, an unsafe moment, or AT still, the osteopath, the original osteopath, uh, called an insult to the body. So avoiding those and make shapes in its own body to protect them, shut them down. But then we never go back and restore those movement patterns in us. So, you know, if that's what you've done. Yes. Um, yeah. Chris would say strike phase. <laughs> 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 get that la lateral posterior contact on the calcaneus and start gently opening it and getting some length into the hamstring and straightening the knee. And, yeah. Uh, it's like making those joints feel safe again after having been sure. unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, that just, I think that lives on people. We know, you know that trauma lives in a, as a memory. And so we think, what, why can't it live in the structure as well? And, and it's all connected. So one of the thing, things that's most important is to begin to feel safe in your body. Yeah. I love that you have this program for people to assess themselves because there's often mm. this feeling that people are looking outside of themselves, like looking towards a therapist to be like, you are going to heal me, right? Yeah. Which yeah. creates kind of a little bit of this certain mentality and a dynamic between two people that feels yeah. codependent. So it's so great that you have this, <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. program for people to assess themselves and really almost be like the CEO of their own health. Beautiful. <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself. The words in my head is helping people to take ownership. You can't yes. take ownership of something if you don't understand it. So I'm quite excited to be able to begin, and it's small beginnings at the moment, but to educate people about their body obviously not everybody is necessarily interested in that but those who are we can educate them so they can make useful decisions and i think podcasts like these are people's brain will already be going on around what they've done what their movement habits are and, you know it's amazing and, and to be able to just put that into the psyche of people i know because i've traveled teaching for easy into 10th year now i know that the i'm injured will you fix me conversation which is actually an unconscious conversation is stressful for a lot of therapists because they they then have to do things right get things right when things don't go wrong they blame themselves blah 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 and then on the flip side of that people blame practitioners or they'll blame osteopathy or chiropractic or podiatry and yeah. it's never really never really about them it's but for people to take ownership they can look inside and to have a process to go through whereby they can begin to assess their own joints, assess their own joint motion, learn what that joint motion should be, recognize how challenging it is in themselves, and go through a process of connecting the dots so they can make those movements easier. And interestingly, just even just doing 
the process once is enough to make some of some of an adjustment because you unconsciously you never do the movements that you can't do even if you're into some crazy calisthenics movement thing you will still move around the movements that you can't do and then in conversation like this with yourself on a video <laughs> is you're being advised into spaces where you can do nothing but move that specific joint and then to go actually i, I can't do that i can't do it without cheating I can't adduct that left hip without rotating my pelvis. So we'd take the rotation away and then suddenly you go, I actually just, I can't do that. And that's going to lead you to a full body movement and a full body connection. And in the process, you might go, well, yeah, that's when I weight bear on my left leg that no one's ever looked at since I sprained the ankle. That's the hope that the journey that people go through. I've had some lovely feedback over, I mean, the, the program has been available this year. I sell it for £9.99, which you know is, what, $15, $17 or something? So much, much less than a therapy conversation. <laughs> yes. And two to three hours. But obviously, you don't need to watch two to three hours every time you do it. But initially, you're going through that whole assessment process. Then there's movements at the end. And then my invitation is it's not like a one-hit wonder. You then go back and you can check whether you check once a month, once a year. You're able to keep going back and checking what you can do, what you can't do, how it's changed. And they're taking ownership. There's nothing to stop you taking your own movement back. And then to be able to find therapists, and not just people who are trained with AIM, but people know how to deal with injury. So if you go, actually, I've got an injury there. I can't load my weight into it. No one's ever looked at it. Just go and get it treated by whoever. Because you then get to go back to your own movement conversation with yourself. I think it takes a lot of pressure off people and their therapists. Yeah. It makes therapists avoid burnout. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Can I play devil's advocate? So there's some therapies that really focus on starting at the core and how we learn to move when we learned our movement patterns, right? So Mm. there's some therapies where belief is like, okay, if you can't own core stability and breathing on your back and then hands and knees and then through a crawling pattern and then half kneeling, and then upright. So if you can't own it in those beginning phases, like when we learned our movement at three months old, six months old, as an adult, if you don't earn the, if you yeah. can't do those, getting upright and earning and owning that movement is harder. But it's interesting because you always, you start upright, right? Do you have any thoughts yeah, on that? I do. And what I think, I'm actually not a, I wouldn't class myself on any level as a specialist or expert in that side of things because those people who do that do that very well. All of that movement from the ground up, from crawling through those processes, I think what you're doing is you're earning your future joint motion. You're earning. Yeah, absolutely. You're moving your joints, that's lining up the tissues. And when I stand people up, we are... And we do sometimes go back to all fours or whatever if we need to. It's not always, you know, you do what you need to do for whoever needs whatever they need. Yeah. Regardless. But standing people up, and as I just said, like through that video or through a process, is you're able to just track joints that are not able to move. And some people will have naturally earned the right to move well as a developing child, but then run into trouble, which was some injury or trauma or bang of the head, concussions, whatever, that then started things to change. So if they're already upright and mobile, we can use upright and mobile as a way to go back to that. 
and believe it or not, sometimes stuff just doesn't doesn't happen. Like you're moving people's joints, and the brain says no, and you try this, and you, the brain says no, and and actually in that process, you're going backwards and backwards and backwards through the timeline until, and that's when you can start to bring that kind of stuff in, or you start talking about birth or cranial problems. So what I do like about the process and about the model is the body; it can't really hide from you. So what I say to people is that they they are the patient this is is literally going to walk into your room with tattooed on their forehead what it is that they can and can't do yeah and it's going to be going to be stand out to you you know where you can't side bend right and you can't put your weight into that big toe and this knee doesn't straighten and you know well that's 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 a gait phase but not that the gait phase is the solution but we should look at why that knee why that hip why that foot and begin to reintroduce those movements. There's a lovely TED talk by John George Monbiot called Putting the Wolves Back Into Yellowstone, I think it is. Okay. Um, and it's called Rewilding. And it's that idea that if you haven't extended your knee or put weight in your first metatarsal for 15 years, when you do that, some good shit's going to happen because right? <laughs> it's intended, it's meant to be. So that knee extension, that creates for some hip extension, that hip extension creates for some weight into the right foot. That right foot then allows you to put some weight in the metatarsal, the tissue's going to load, then you have a contraction. And just good shit is going to happen when you start putting back movement that, that we've lost. And wherever that comes from, it, it doesn't matter. If it's from, if it's from a, a cranial assessment, if it's from a rebirthing, if it's from putting a foot on a wedge, <laughs> if it comes from repatterning your crawl, that's the magic, I think, is putting life back into people's bits that have gone missing and then watching it kind of unfold. But that, that TED Talk kind of says it all. I'll have to check wolves, it out. How the Wolves Change the Rivers is what it's called. Okay. Oh, I'll have to check it out. I love the TED Talks. So you use these wedges to help <laughs> the body find center. Yeah. How did that come about? Like, was it, were you playing with like, let me stick a book under there? How did that? <laughs> you used to use absolutely anything you could get our hands on. Let me stick um, my thumb under there. It's okay. You can step on my thumb. You won't yeah. Work. Are you sure? Yeah. Get in there. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a good job. iPhones weren't around when I started because that's a good height. <laughs> we cracked a few screens. Use what you in, can. Whatever you need, whatever, whatever you, you need. need. Yeah, orthotics is the answer to the question. So, ah, okay, if you wanted to build an orthotic, if somebody had a varus forefoot, which is deemed as a syndrome, but in 0.6 and 0.8 seconds, as the foot pronates, we would like our forefoot to adopt a varus shape. So, if you've ever been told you've got a forefoot supinatus or varus forefoot, and wear an orthotic for it, it, what it's telling you is that you're stuck in that moment of pronation and can't get out of it. And so where the, what the orthotic does is it puts mm -hmm. a wedge under the forefoot to fill that gap. So this would be a varus angle. You put a wedge in and it sits and the gap's filled. And the, the rear foot, while the, the forefoot's trying to find the ground, the rear foot's collapsing. So you put the wedge in and the rear foot doesn't collapse and you can be more aligned. But obviously what we lack at that point is the idea of that the foot has to also to experience its opposite movement, which it now can't because the orthotic is in the way. So we wanted something that we could put in and take out. And so if, just using that as an example, it was to, there were yoga wedges, big, long, purple yoga wedges in the gym. So we kind of, you know, need a wedge. Took a, took, a, wedge took a hacksaw to that thing and just chop it up into little bits, <laughs> smaller wedges. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. But putting it under there and recognizing that 
what was happening is the, the toe was meeting the ground sooner than expected. So the rear mm-hmm. foot would collapse less. So the mid tarsal joints would then begin to open. So the muscles got length and they started to contract. And all of this has been a, a, a slow build over, over 10 years. So, um, some of the stuff we did with wedges in the early days, probably <laughs> you'd laugh at now, but it's a fairly, <laughs> fairly refined process. You use a wedge to fill space where people can't meet the ground. So rather than forcing metatarsals onto the ground, you just bring the ground to them. The brain yeah. then feels like it's got its tripod on the ground. You use a wedge to influence a movement. So if you want the heel bone to evert, you shove it in the outside to, so it rolls down the wedge. You can use it as proprioceptive feedback as well. So that I'm always marveled by somebody with a flat foot rotating to the left, how the whole foot paddles off the ground, the big toe loses. Yeah. But you stick a wedge under here. Oh, I've got a black one now, but <laughs> you stick a wedge under here, they do the same movement and the foot reverses its dynamic. It actually pushes into the wedge. So you get that feedback from it as well. Yeah, I love and that. All of, all of which is changing joint shapes and getting tissue to activate and stuff. Yeah. So you are on this BBC show, Doctor in the House? Correct. And it was really cool to see you work with this guy who hit the gym hard and worked out yeah. and but was in this chronic pain cycle. And you just took him through a couple yeah. phases of gait. I think there were some wedges involved. <laughs> there definitely was. <laughs> just focused on his movement and this idea of the finding of center. Is there anything from that that like really pops into your head from that show and working with? Yeah. And everyone should check out the show. Like it's an amazing episode. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot in it um, on not just the, uh, the, the, my bit part, but the the Dr. Rongan Chatterjee's um, role he played in in that was, was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but we've already talked about the the injury and the timeline because everything that actually underlines what we said quite nicely, but everything that this guy had been having treated for his 34 years of back pain all happened after the incident that had happened before his back began hurting. So when I, I said that yeah, I wasn't actually interested in all of that stuff because I was still looking for what caused the initial back pain. So what happened before the back pain? And there's a really cool bit on the show where he just didn't think that it was significant, so hadn't mentioned it, which is what you also m- mentioned a bit ago. But that was an incident where he'd actually had his jaw shattered in a fight or something like that. I think and it was it a bar the- fight, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. Enough, <laughs> <laughs> that happened, and it took 15 months for it to manifest in it as a back pain, mm. uh, but never went away. We have our ideas around how the jaw interacts with with the skull and how the skull interacts with the spine and and whatever but it was a simple test a bit like what i said about the the guy this morning put your weight in the left leg and the scapula started moving was to invite him to bring his jaw to a side of his face that it hadn't been for 34 years and his pelvis and everything shifted back into his left foot and the spine straightened up which you can see the doctor kind of like, oh, look what's going yeah. on. <laughs> what, the hell, what the hell just happened? Like his um, jaw was causing his back pain? <laughs> it was an easy connection to make, but to go all the way back and go not treat the broken metatarsals, not treat the broken arm, not worry about the concussions, because none of that. Let's get to the cause of the back pain first. And that was really what set us off. And then the rest of it, I remember we have a phase in the flow motion model called shift phase, which is where the pelvis 
shifts across, you've got to get your weight from your right leg to your left leg. And every single thing, every assessment said it's right shift phase. So get his pelvis left, get him into his left foot. But he also wouldn't want to be in his left foot because he broke his metatarsals. He, he, wouldn't, want to be able, he wouldn't be able to do that. Um, he couldn't extend his wrist. And this is, I've done this in a, a few times, but one wrist to go all the way back and the other one just stuck here. So maybe you can treat the wrist, you know, by getting his jaw left and then putting him in the position. So after the fact, he's comfortable getting his pelvis over his left foot. He's comfortable now using the wedges to bear weight into his metatarsals. So none of that stuff would, would even connect with his pelvis staying over his right leg all the time. You can see the way he walks, his left, look, left leg's abducted out to the side. And at the end, you can see how it's completely different. So it was it was a wonderful process. At the end of all that, I kind of said, oh, well, how about your wrist? I forgot, almost forgot about your wrist, like show us. And he, he did this. Unfortunately, it wasn't on the camera, but he lifted them up and he just like went, holy shit, it's not been like that for years. And so I went home asking me what stands out from it. And I, I used this as a, as a way of appreciating that all things are connected. But I was like, that is amazing. How did that actually happen? I need to work that out. So put myself in, in his structure and put myself into the model. And I get to the point where if I shift my pelvis left in the gait cycle is when my wrist would be most extended in the gait cycle. So what I do, so I get people to pull their hands like this, pull them into a full extension and shift their pelvis to the left. And so you put it into a full extension so you can't do it anymore. Shift your pelvis to the left and you'll get more in your right hand. Shift your pelvis to the right and you'll get more in your left hand. Oh, and yeah. people, people go through that. Yeah, you'll feel it with the lateral flexion, whatever connections you, you can make. You can even feel it with a foot supination as well. But it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So shifting the pelvis, you can actually feel the wrists paddling. So it is possible that my wrist and my pelvis are actually speaking to each other. So the, if I can't go left, I'm not going to be able to extend this wrist. And it, to him, it appears like it's absolutely stuck. So you could have been mobilizing the wrist, you could have been stretching the, the fascia to get the movement, but we didn't do any of that. And, and it was that, that was they're the things that, where you really start to learn. And we had a lady in Lisbon last week and we talked about this and she said that she broke her wrist and she couldn't deviate it to the right. So it was right hand and it's still the shift, she couldn't shift her pelvis left. So instantly you go, well, the deviation and the extension happened together. So it's just the same pattern we've got going on here. So I asked her to just to start deviating it and she couldn't do it without extending. So she was borrowing from extension. So we put it on the floor, took the extension away, encouraged the deviation of the, of the wrist. Pelvis slipped over there like it had been going there all her life. So these are the connections that the model can give you so that you can start to, you, know, you start to understand what it is you need to treat. So we had to treat her wrist by virtue of putting the movement back. We didn't have to treat the pelvis, which was actually pulling on the doctor's groin and, and low back. So they're the things that we're foam rolling, massaging, injecting. You, you just need to do this, love. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's magic. It's, it's really, it's, it's such powerful, cool. it's such powerful information that everyone really needs to know. Well, that's the goal. So we're busily trying to publish it so that it can be poured over by whoever yeah. is interested. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's been three years already trying to put it into into book form and and the artistry and everything's going to look it's going to look really cool so i'm really excited about that but i'm not i don't feel pressured to get it out i, want, I just want it to be useful and right and, and accurate but magic's the word people use the magician knows that it, he knows all the he knows all the bits in the process doesn't he so it's not magic to him and it's not magic to me i think we can see 
we can just see that you everything should be explainable. And I think the model helps us to do that. Gary, where can people find you? There's multiple different platforms, but they're all <laughs> should be known. I don't want people to find me. I do want people to find me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get my book done. <laughs> um, so my favorite place to be found is Instagram. Okay. Gary Ward underscore AIM at Gary Ward underscore AIM. Uh, we also have a Facebook like page, which is facebook.com forward slash anatomy in motion. Twitter handles the same. I don't go on there too often because people get upset with me on Twitter, but Instagram, they, they're kind of friendly. So I like Instagram. <laughs> uh, and then what <laughs> and are then have, the different courses and on uh, those platforms where people can find you? Finding Center. That's finding. English, English spelling. C E N T. I don't remember what English spelling is now. Ari, Ari, yes. yeah. <laughs> FindingCenter.co.uk, and in the top right-hand corner is a "Wake Your Body Up" big green logo, where you can find that video for the self-assessment for price of a couple of cups of coffee. Which, if you're a coffee addict, you might choose not to, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the wedges will definitely. Don't know how soon we'll get international wedges, but um, wedges are coming and. A video where we can self-assess and move our feet coming and when you put the two videos together you'll, you'll have a very powerful foot body experience that will mimic what this model is all about amazing and are you still traveling and teaching mm-hmm. we are now for the sake of internet timelines october 2018 so in november we go to melbourne oh uh, which I'm nice. really excited to to go back there um and we have a lot more European-based courses now and reduced our kind of big, wide ones, but we'll still sneak one into Santa Cruz in March. Australia in Melbourne and the rest are, the rest are here in Europe. Yeah, no, so East in Coast London love. and Dublin. Not, not at the moment. <laughs> not at the moment. <laughs> Gary, but, thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's been, it's been amazing there. speaking and chatting and bouncing off ideas. And Yeah. I feel like... Reconnect. Yeah, I feel like every time we cross paths. I always have a self reassessment and okay. And always learn something new. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I shall look forward to next time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Hopefully in person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. All right. So one more time, if you want to enter the contest to win Gary's book, what the foot and two wedges to do some of his recommended exercise go to itunes rate and review muscle medicine podcast once you've done that go to bit.ly bit.ly slash wt foot the contest link is in the show notes it will run for a week you get gary's book which is amazing you get two wedges which are also amazing We use them every day in practice. I use them on myself for my own exercises. So go rate and review Muscle Medicine Podcast. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this episode. Be well.